Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. All right, everyone, welcome to our podcast where we today are going to be talking about a topic that uh, I think is extremely interesting. It's uh, a very interesting uh, way to be able to deal with mortgages. It's reversed mortgages. Now, we get a question asked about a reverse mortgage uh, quite regularly. And the reason why is because it can be used in a multiple of different scenarios. But especially when you look at the factor of retirement, it's something that uh, can, can be very beneficial. So we want to make sure that we understand it. And today we have with us a uh, friend of mine that I've known for a very long time, uh, Ron Heath, and Ron Heath specializes in reverse mortgages. And so we are certainly excited and to have you with us today, Ron. I really appreciate the invitation, Raiden. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good, good. Well, we are excited to have a nice conversation with you and help us to understand uh, this idea of a reverse mortgage today. But before we get into that, could you give us a little bit of background? How long have you been in this type of work of, of reverse mortgages? Yeah, I started back with Wells Fargo in April of 2007, so over 13 years now. Um, and it is the only mortgage that I've ever had any experience doing. So I do consider myself a specialist with this after 13 years. Yeah, Ron, what would you say got you into the, the profession, especially the reverse side of it? Uh, well, you know, in 2006, uh, due to some kind of back issues, I had to make a transition in careers. I had been uh, doing something for quite some time. And when my physical needs necessitated a change, I did some investigating. My father had actually been in the mortgage business for a little while. And while I liked the idea of it because I love numbers, I just didn't like the transactional nature of mortgage lending. And so I had a friend that was in the reverse mortgage industry. And had some coffee with them and found out that this was more of a, an educational opportunity because so few people knew the truth about reverse mortgages. So you spend a lot of time educating people. And I love that. I love being able to teach people new things, help them understand concepts that might seem difficult. And so after some research and really understanding what this could do and how it changed lives, you know, I just threw myself, threw myself at it 100%. Fantastic. So now, over the years now, for the last 13 years you've been doing this, if you had to describe why you love it the most, what would you say you love most about helping folks with, uh, with this type of a thing? Um, the, the before and after. It's, it's when I meet them, there's a dilemma oftentimes or a problem that needs to be solved and financially speaking. And when we're done and they see how this asset that they have, and for most people it could be the largest asset they have in retirement, now they see how this asset is going to change the financial landscape moving forward. Just seeing that I always liken it to I come in sometimes and there's a dark cloud when I leave the suns out. And so that's that's where I find my joy is, is seeing how it trans, transforms people's outlook. Very nice. Yeah, that's got to feel good. Uh, so let's get to know Ron a little bit. Um, 
Ron, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Where you grew up? Yeah, I think probably like Raiden. I'm a North Carolina boy. Um, born in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1963. Mom and dad moved back to Raleigh in 1969. And I've lived here ever since then. You know, mainly Wake County, Cary, Apex, Holly Springs, uh, and Raleigh. Nice. And can you tell us a little bit about your family? I can. I've got uh, my immediate family. I've got mom and dad. They live here in Cary. And then I have a brother who lives in uh, Cary and a sister in Willow Springs and a sister in Raleigh. So we're all right here local. Very good. So I, I am married too. I guess I should not leave my wife out. <laughs> because if she ever saw this, I'd be in a lot of hot water. Um, so I've been married to Becky since 1984. So we just celebrated 36 years this past May. Um, no kids. We've had our pets, but right now it's just the two of us. Uh, well, congratulations to you and Becky. Um, so I say we hop right into this, and I the, I think the first question that a lot of people are going to have is, when it comes to mortgages, can you give us a very high-level difference between a traditional mortgage and a reverse mortgage? Yeah, I can. I, I think the majority of people that listen to this and, and perhaps see it later, they understand that with a traditional mortgage, you're taking on an obligation to make repayment on money that's been given you to either purchase a home or refinance a home. You agree to certain terms, perhaps 15, 20, 30 year terms. And then there's a principal and interest payment that has to be made monthly until the debt is completely gone away. And so most of us understand that the lender with a traditional mortgage does not own your home. As we all know, they just establish a lien against your property. And so that lien is satisfied when you are continuing to carry through on your obligations. The difference with a reverse mortgage is that there's no payment obligation associated with this mortgage. Now, I will stress that like a traditional mortgage, it simply does uh, consist of a lien against your property so that the lender knows they can be made whole and repaid at some point in time in the future. But because of the way we calculate these loans and the limitations that are put in place and that you have to be 62 or older, we don't really set a term for the loan, but we understand that the way the loans will be calculated and factored, all interest and principal can be repaid in the future at the time that the home is sold when the last living borrower uh, is no longer living and the children sell the property. So it's a mortgage, but it carries no monthly obligation whatsoever. The payment is simply going to be made at the end. All right. So let's just do this because, you know, what we had wanted to ask is how does this work? And you just gave us a nice overview there. But I like to break things down into like a, something we could all grasp and, and, and understand. So I'm going to walk you through a, a simple scenario. And I like to use things with simple, easy math. I've got a house. Uh, and this is a hypothetical. I got a house that is worth five hundred thousand. I am gonna. I know there's multiple examples, but I just want to walk this through so that somebody listening can understand how it works. I, I got a house that has five is worth five hundred thousand. I owe nothing on the house, but I would like to access some of the equity in my home. And I want to do that with a reverse mortgage. Could you walk me through kind of what that would look like? If I want to access that, but I don't really want a mortgage payment. So I'm looking at this idea of a reverse mortgage. I could. And what I'll use, Raiden, is the typical uh, use that I see being chosen by a borrower in the establishment of a line of credit so that they now have access to be able to borrow when needed and as needed. 
Um, let's say that you're a 70 year old homeowner. And as you've said, the home is worth 500,000. You're going to qualify for a line of credit that's going to be in the $275,000 range. Um, we've determined that based on your life expectancy being 70 and knowing that at some point in time, based on actuary tables, you will no longer be living. We've also looked at the interest rates. And then we also look at future value of the home. So real simple, $500,000 home, $275,000 line of credit. You can now borrow from that line of credit as needed, creating a loan balance because you are now borrowing funds interest will be added to the loan balance because interest is charged and then that debt will be satisfied in the future. So when, when you say line of credit, that immediately makes me think of a, a, a home equity line of credit. Uh, so what's the difference there, a home equity versus a reverse mortgage? Excellent question. So the biggest difference is in a traditional home equity line of credit setting, as you borrow money, it may be that you have to make interest only payments but that is a payment that is generated the moment you start borrowing from a traditional home equity line of credit. So as a person is making use of this against their home, they're also creating debt service that is gonna be ongoing on a monthly basis. Um, the other aspect to a traditional home equity line of credit that can be scary, and we saw this actually at the beginning of the pandemic, Home equity lines of credit can be frozen. They can be reduced by a lender. They can even be canceled depending on what the lender feels might happen with the home values. The neat thing about a reverse mortgage line of credit is when you begin borrowing from it, there is no payment obligation. And it may be later in our conversation, we'll discuss this aspect that voluntary payments can be made, but the bottom line is no repayment is required. The other positive aspects to a reverse mortgage line of credit are it can never be frozen. It can never be reduced. It can never be canceled unless the borrower is not meeting their obligations, obviously, and goes into default. So look at those bonus, those wins, if you will, for the reverse mortgage line of credit. Those things are, they keep it in place at all times. I apologize. That's they okay. keep it in place at all times for the borrower so that they always have access to it. And what's interesting is, uh, as we've already mentioned, we look at the home value to determine the, the amount that they can borrow. If the home value actually doesn't appreciate or even depreciates, it has no impact on the reverse mortgage line of credit. It's an FHA insured loan, so the lender doesn't alter the structure structure of the loan. Okay. So uh, we may come back to this and, and kind of use this example uh, a little bit later of this $500,000 home with the 275000 line of credit. So we may come back to that because I've got some questions, but I think we might we might be able to come and answer it at a little different angle. So let's just jump to another uh, point here and we'll come back to this whole idea of accessing the money. So let's think about if you were to say, what are some situations that people may consider reverse mortgage. I and mean, you can go broad here. If you want to say, hey, here are the, you know, whatever that might be, four, five, six reasons why somebody might do a reverse mortgage. Um, you know, typically a big driver that I find is that I'll meet people in retirement who perhaps have been referred by a financial advisor like yourselves. They have a 
a traditional mortgage that they're navigating in retirement. And so there's a cash flow management issue because of this obligation to a mortgage. They can use a reverse mortgage to extinguish that debt. And then they no longer have the monthly debt service of a mortgage payment. So that's a big one, Raiden, that I see. I do see people setting up lines of credit, as we've already talked about, as a buffer asset that they can use um, in conjunction with other savings, retirement savings that they have to create another uh, tax-free source of income. Some people use it to establish a line of credit and don't intend on using it until they have long-term care needs. Perhaps they don't have long-term care insurance and they want to plan for the future need for this. Others may even use it to purchase long-term care insurance. Um, if they're still healthy and you know it makes sense for them to be able to do that. Uh, I work with a lot of people who are transitioning out of larger homes that have a lot of maintenance, perhaps two-story, and they want a retirement home. They can use this loan program to actually purchase their new home. We could talk about how that works later. Um, there are those that will set up a line of credit so that when they get to the point of wanting to buy into a continuous care retirement community, they now have the ability to make that buy-in payment out of their reverse mortgage line of credit, knowing that that debt then and the interest that might accrue will be satisfied when they ultimately sell their home. Um, I guess other people may use it to purchase a second home, a vacation home. So, I mean, the list is, is quite extensive in how people use this. Okay. So huh, that was a lot. So I want to make sure, let's just take okay. it, a, let's take a couple steps here. All right. So, uh, let's walk through the idea of the, the one you said, somebody needing a down payment for the continuous care retirement community, right? So again, I like to use the thing so we can all visualize the math. I got a house worth 500,000 and I'm, my ultimate plan is to take the sell of that home, the 500,000 and to use that 500,000 as the buy-in to this con continuous care retirement community. That's kind of my end goal, but there's a year and a half or a two year wait to get into this uh, community. So they want me to actually put down, let's just say 200,000 prior to close. So I need to come up with the 200,000. I got some options. I could take money from my IRA. We know that's not good because I, I would owe taxes on that. So we don't want to do that. So now I'm trying to figure out, go back to kind of what Merce said. I could take out an equity line of uh, on my home, like with the bank, an equity line of credit that I got to make payments on. I don't really like payments either. So I'm looking at this reverse mortgage. So I take out the $200,000 in a reverse mortgage. You call it a line of credit, but I take the whole 200000 out one time. I go put it down on that community. So I've got my down payment. Now I got the 200,000, I still have 300,000 of equity. Now walk me down kind of what it's going to look like in, you know, 2 years when I sell my house. What am I going to now have? What's going to be the transaction? What is it going to look like? So you have obviously a beginning loan balance of the 200 you've accessed for this buy-in. Uh, you will have a measure uh, closing costs that have rolled in and then there will be interest accrual for 2 years. So let's just say then at the end of two years, the debt now is just for easy math, 240,000, something like that. Perhaps the home is appreciated, maybe not. If it hasn't, it's sold for 500. The debt on the reverse mortgage of 240 is satisfied, leaving net sale proceeds of 260,000 for this home buyer to complete the buy-in with the lender. I'm sorry, with the uh, continuous care retirement community. 
I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. So when you say there's interest accrued, but to be clear, there are no payments when you do that reverse mortgage. It's kind of just, it's, it's adding in as, as you have that mortgage and then eventually gets paid off by the sale of the house. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yep. Very good. Now, we had a conversation prior to this uh, conversation we're having now, and you talked about, uh, and if I remember it correctly, basically one of the things that's occurring right now is is that people transitioning to another home, is that kind of the thing that you see a lot now, or is it a second home? What was the, what was the scenario there? Transitioning. Um, last year alone in the the selling and buying of homes, the baby boomers were the second largest demographic to sell a home and buy a home. They were right behind millennials. Um, the estimation was about 1.4 million in the United States. And so what they're doing is they're selling these, as I've mentioned, larger homes, too much maintenance, second st- you know, story. And they're moving into these 55 plus style communities where it's one level living, maintenance free, things like that. So that transition is, it's a snowball right now. It's happening a lot. Okay. And so can you walk us through again, how that would work? I'm, I want to yep. transition. I want to move from here to somewhere else. I have a house now and I'm transitioning. Kind of walk me through maybe a, a real life scenario that you've, that you've just helped somebody with. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, on Friday, I'm closing a, a, a loan, actually two, three of them. The the home buyer has purchased a 55 plus style home for a, a price point of 576000 They sold a home in New York previously, so they've had the sale proceeds sitting in the bank. They're going to make a one-time down payment on the purchase of this $576,000 home of $261,000. They will move in from that point moving forward with no monthly mortgage obligation whatsoever. They have the obligations that homeowners do of paying taxes, insurance, and HOA. But outside of that, that is their full investment to purchase this $576,000 home. So what they're going to be able to do, uh, they had the ability to pay cash. But what they'll do is they'll take that difference of $305,000 or whatever it is, $310,000. Now they'll use that for reinvestment purposes to build legacy there, to shore up their financial savings, and to be able to look forward to having that piece of financial security. Mm. And so the way that would work then, if I go out then, let's say I, the person moves into this 55 plus community you're talking about, what is accruing is they've got the balance that they have on the mortgage, the reverse mortgage, and then they're accruing interest. So walk us down the path of, you know, they've lived there till the end of life mm-hmm. and whatever that might be, 15, 20 years, what, 30 years, whatever that is. And then 
whenever their children inherit it, what's that going to look like? And I'm, I'm not asking for, by the way, specific numbers. Just give me no, the high level. Okay. So if you were to think about having a home value that is appreciating at 3%, that is 576000 and a loan balance that is having interest accrue at, a, at about the same rate. What you'll see is the home value will outpace the loan balance growth. So what we expect is that as they live their life out, when the home passes to the heirs, the appreciation and home value should outpace the loan balance growth, the interest accrual, so that the heirs then simply sell the property as an asset in the estate, they repay the loan balance and the interest accrual, and the net sale proceeds return to them as a part of the legacy. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we've cut, we've talked about uh, transitioning. We've talked about how it could be used for continued care uh, or going into one of those retirement communities or buying a second home. Um, but can you walk us through how it, how a reverse mortgage could be used for in all essence uh, on the, on the financial, the cash flow side with, let's say we have someone who has a house that's paid off. What, let's go with that $500,000 um, home that is completely paid off. They don't have a reverse mortgage yet, but they're considering it. And they also have investments in the stock market. And I'm assuming that a, a line of credit here would make some sense. But can you t- take us through a situation where someone may consider that that also has stock market type investments? Absolutely. And and we had prime examples of this when the pandemic started and we had those choppy waters in the market right there at the very beginning. We had many of our clients call us and say, thank you so very much for telling me to set up my reverse mortgage line of credit before the storm came. Because what someone can do is, uh, you know, and I know you guys know all these terms, but it's not a good idea to draw down on our portfolio when we have a down market. Um, Because obviously we're not only creating taxable income, but we're taking our assets and selling them at a loss. But how beautiful would it be to have what looks like another cash asset in a reverse mortgage line of credit, where if I call my advisor and he says it's not a good time to draw from the portfolio, let's use the tax-free proceeds from your reverse mortgage line of credit until it does make sense to go back and draw down from your portfolio. So what we see is just a coordinated strategy of using the reverse mortgage when it makes more sense than drawing on my portfolio and then not using the reverse mortgage line of credit when it's a positive time to draw from my portfolio. And so we just see it being navigated like that. So I know in the past, at least, I mean, and I just don't know, is this, is it possible to set up the reverse mortgage line of credit that you're saying? And, and you would just can do like a, let's just say that you go back to that 275,000 line of credit I've got on my half million dollar home. Can I just say, okay, well, I'm going to draw uh, $500 a month off of that account, and I'm just going to let it feed me an income stream, and just however long I can live on and have that $500 come in my way, I can just take it in little increments like that. Absolutely, yeah. So I could use this as an, as an additional income source. Yeah, it almost becomes rating like an annuity, where somebody is just, they have a fixed income, and, and we can determine in our calculations based on life expectancy a monthly amount that can be guaranteed to come forever. Um, and I mean, until the youngest borrower is 150 years of age. So we can 
to determine that annuitized payment, or if they prefer to set up a larger payment for a shorter term, we can also structure the loan that way. So an, a follow-up there, would that be done through the line of credit side, or is this another, another style of doing a reverse mortgage as more of like a, an annuitized payment? It's another style. It's, it's like they take that line of credit availability and they stick it in a closet and then they dole those monthly payments out from that line of credit. Gotcha. Well, uh, it is obvious, Ron, that there is a lot of different applications when it comes to doing a reverse mortgage. But I know over the years of doing this, having this conversation with people, and uh, honestly, uh, you know, I think I talked to you about reverse mortgages 10 years ago, we had conversations about it. But what would you say are some of the, let's just take it one at a time. What, What would you say your number one biggest misconception is that somebody would have about a reverse mortgage? The bank owns my home. Okay. Number and one. So so basically in their mind, what they're thinking is they no longer have control. Correct. Yep. So let's talk about that. Uh, what type, do they give up any control? No control whatsoever. The as I mentioned, it's just a lien against the property, so they remain titled on the home. I have clients that have structured these loans and then in five years decide they'd like to sell and move. Yeah, And they're certainly allowed to do that. It's their home. Um, there are no prepayment penalties for early termination of the loan, but that is the biggest one. Um, there's, there's a backstory to it, Ray, and I won't go into it, but to some extent, practices in the 60s, 70s, and 80s have fostered this misconception. But um, that certainly is not the case. They own the home. They do have the obligation of maintaining it to minimum property standards. But really, any lender who has given you a loan is going to expect that. Mm. Right. So if they I I go back to our example, so everybody can follow us, $500,000 home, $275,000 I've taken out of the home. We're going to assume I took it out Mm -hmm. and I've got it now in my possession. And then a year later, I, for whatever reason, sell my home. If I've accrued an interest uh, or a balance on that loan of $300,000, i am going to walk away with $200,000 more once I sell my home because I, I still have $200,000 of equity in the home. Correct. Okay. So I want everybody yeah. to really understand that, that, you know, because I think that is a misconception uh, that, is, you know, that's going to be a problem. All right. So what about another one? Oh, I'm sorry. Mariska. Well, I was going to stick with the same topic. So uh, losing control of the home is a misconception, but what if we go down the line a little bit and over into the inheritors? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so one of the fears that um, a borrower may have is how does this impact my heirs? Um, and, and not so much from the standpoint of I'd really like to leave a home free and clear because that's that's not what the conversation's about, but what harm could I leave my heirs? Could my heirs be responsible for a debt that might be in excess of what the home is worth? And the answer is no. Um, FHA insures all of these loans for both the borrowers and the heirs, as well as the lenders. So um, if, let's say, Raiden, in your example you just gave, a $500,000 home, the parents have tapped $275,000, interest has accrued, and now the children inherit a home with a debt of $300,000 on it. If we've had a market collapse, and we hope we don't, but if we have, and now the house is only worth 200000 
the heirs are not responsible for that $100,000 in excess debt. Mm -hmm. They simply can take all of the personal effects out of the home. They can do a deed in lieu of foreclosure process, and they can walk away from the property without any obligation. Okay. So that's a big one to know. I yeah. mean, because I, you know, you would think, oh my goodness, when now the estate owes the hundred thousand. So the estate's not on the line either. The heirs nor the estate on that in that particular scenario. That is correct. And no no deficiency judgments can be rendered against anyone. Okay. Wow. Very nice. Yeah, that's important. Mm-hmm. So so that kind of handled one of my next questions. But I mean, again, go back to uh, you know, a, a lot of our clients, by the way, we we have a conversation with clients who've been good savers, good hard workers, um, and they say, uh, here's the way I feel. If at the end of the day, there's anything left over, I'm glad for my kids to get it. But I am not going to sacrifice, in all essence, a good retirement so that my kids get something. Mm-hmm. So I think this understanding that my kids aren't going to get hurt but but they may not get as much as they would had I just had the house paid off and gave it to them. But I don't think that's really the goal here in a lot of the cases is for us to try to say we're going to try to leave a house paid off for our kids. Yeah, and that's what I see um, most often, if not 100% of the time. And And the truth is when the children become involved in this deeper conversation, they don't want the home right. and they want mom and dad to enjoy retirement. So ultimately, when when all of the knowledge is on the table and we brought all parties into the conversation, I find that the children become the cheerleaders for mom and dad looking at this asset to help enhance their retirement. It, it's funny how that happens. Every now and then you get one child that may not quite feel that way, but for the most part, they do. So can we kind of walk through the the way this works. I mean, so a person's listening or they're thinking about what they might, uh, you know, hey, this might work for me. This might give me some extra income. It might give me some security. And I want to figure out how this works. Can you walk us through kind of the process of of how this looks? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so my first recommendation is try to find a local representative that you can either sit with or, you know, at least have some good when we are allowed to have freely have face-to-face time again but be able to speak to somebody local so that they can listen to your goals. They can actually see where you live. Uh, right now I have, I have been in homes where people really wanted to structure these reverse mortgages. And I'm looking at the two flights of stairs and I'm looking at the half acre of yard work and I see everything that I know they're going to run into. And now I'm trying to talk them into, maybe it's time to transition. You can still use this. So it's important to work with a local loan officer. And that's the first step. Sit down with a loan officer, tell them your goals, let them run calculations and see if it fits. Try to engage your children in the conversation. After that, um, if it feels like they want to move forward or if it, it feels like it fits their plan, they would go through counseling. It's about an hour long session. It's just the borrowers and a HUD approved counselor that wants to make sure that the loan officers really given them all of the information that they need to make the right decision. After the counseling's completed, they would go through an application process, much like a traditional mortgage. An appraisal would be done typically within 30 days or so. The loan is ready to close. Um, after that, the line of credit is established, and then it just moves forward being put in place. So you mentioned the counseling aspect of it. That so that really doesn't ever apply in the in the traditional mortgage. So when when I hear counseling, it makes me think about you know 
whether or not it, it makes something make sense. And so is that essentially what is being done in that counseling session? Because you mentioned one thing in that little example about the, the house with two floors and, and needs a lot of work, big yard. So what are some reasons that could come up in that counseling session that say, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing to be doing? Well, I will say that the counselors have been mandated not to offer an opinion. Um, their their whole role is to educate. Um, I, I have heard stories of, of loan officers not reinforcing that if you do this, you must pay your taxes, you must maintain insurance, you must pay your HOA dues. And so some of that education is lacking. And so the counseling is there to try to catch that, to make sure they know their obligations. But more importantly, in times past, and you know, as, as the two of you are in the financial industry, I know you understand that while products are regulated and mine is more regulated by the federal government than any other mortgage, um, the application of the product can sometimes be inappropriate or misused. Uh, for example, some may be encouraged to do a lump sum disbursement at closing to reinvest those in some sort of insurance product. It was a practice that has happened and could still happen, the counselor is going to bring that up and say, has anybody talked to you about this? Or have you been encouraged to do this? So there, there's a safeguard measure to it too, just to make sure that they're not being led down a road they shouldn't be led down. Now, if we go back to our whole beginning example, $500,000 house paid off, and I'm going in that scenario, it, do they look at my credit as well? We look at the credit history, but not the credit scores. Um, we want to make sure that we are lending to people that show a willingness, and that's the key term we use, a willingness to pay their bills. So we're just going to look to see what their payment history is like and make sure that you know we have somebody who, if we put them in this mortgage, they will continue to pay their taxes and pay their insurance because we don't want to see them going into default. So that's, that's more what we do. Okay. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've covered a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of information here, and it's it's certainly helped me to kind of, uh, you know, get a better, uh, more clarity on how this works. So could you share with us uh, how, if somebody wanted to just kind of, you know, understand what their situation, how it might work, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Well, I'm, I'm old school, so I love my phone. Um, I love people to call me. Uh, you can text me if you like, but my phone number is a uh, local area code 919-412-0686. Uh, if they prefer email, Raiden, it's my first initial R, last name Heath. So R-H-E-A-T-H at mutualmortgage.com. Um, I also have a website, www.mutualraleigh.com. Very nice. Well, we'll make sure that... Uh... All of that information is in the show notes so that people can just click on those things when you mention your email or your website or any of those things, your phone number. Um, but we certainly do appreciate you taking time out of your day and coming on and and helping us understand what a lot of times people I think think is complicated, but mm-hmm. I think you made it where it sounded uh not so complicated and at least gave us a nice picture. So we appreciate that. Yeah, I will say, I will say I had a quick conversation with my mother-in-law this morning and told her that we were interviewing this guy named Ron Heath and he does reverse mortgages and, uh, and she's in the real estate business. And she said, you know, I just don't know how I feel about those because like you alluded to way earlier, there's a lot of different things around them. So thanks a lot for, you know, taking time today with us. Thanks for clearing up some of those things. And I know I learned a lot today. 
Good. Well, I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. All right. Well, you have a nice day. Great. You guys too. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.